All right, well, let's turn there to Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to continue our study through the book of Exodus. It's been a while, but uh, we finished in chapter 3, that, that amazing, well-known chapter where Moses meets the Lord at the burning bush, and he reveals his name to him, and the name Yahweh is given. Uh, we read it in our, our Bible as I am, and that, you know, he was saying, I am not, I can't do this, there's no way, and the Lord says, well... I am able. And so um, we're coming out of that, but it's still very much the same scene. We're still in this, this place of uh, the Lord speaking to him, and Moses is going to just show that he, at least at the beginning, is a reluctant servant. Maybe something some of us can identify with. We get, look at ourselves. We look at the shortcomings. We look at the task. We're like, I, I can't do that. And this is how Moses is feeling. So let's begin, uh, verses 1 through 17. We're going to see Moses uh, running from the call of God. And actually back again, chapter 3 and uh, verse 11, we see his first excuses. Um, I, have, I, don't, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. And the Lord says in verse 12, but I'm going to be with you. That's the difference maker. You can't do it, but I'm going to be with you, so everything's all right. And that's, that's how he seeks the first thing the Lord says to him is he promises his presence. He says, well, I don't know your name. And God gives him his name in verse uh, 14. <clears throat> he says, I am. And this is uh, where we pick up of, of the first two excuses. We're going to get three more excuses in the first half of this chapter. So let's begin at verse 1. It says, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Verse 8. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, of course the Nile here, right, and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land." So his next excuse is, I have no authority, I have no power. Why would they believe me? When I come and say that God has sent me, I've seen them at the burning bush, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has heard your affliction, and he wants me to be the one to lead you out from this affliction, why would they believe me? They're not going to believe me. I've been gone for 40 years. I don't have any connections. I don't have any relationships. I don't have any influence or power over these elders of Israel. And the Lord meets him at this point of uh, question. He says, well, then I will put my power upon you. I will enable you to perform these signs that will be convincing to them. 
I'll give you one, I'll give you two, and then the third one, you know, you'll have to do that in, in, in Egypt, but you got a staff, throw it on the ground, and it turns into a serpent, and he picks it up by the tail. Not a good thing to do. If you ever go to pick up a snake, don't do it by the tail because it can easily come around. You want to pin its head down, right? But, you know, this just shows the power of God. And then he says, you can put your hand inside your cloak and you pull it out. It's going to be leprous like snow. You put it back in, pull it out. It's going to be healed. And you can show them these signs of the creative power, life-giving God that has called you. The power to give life to an inanimate object. The power to, um, to heal and to overcome diseases. And the Lord says, when you do this, They'll believe. And if they don't believe that, then you can perform another miracle once you get into the land. And that's the, the pouring of water onto the dry land where it becomes blood. And that, that one really is a, a statement to the Egyptians because to them, Nile was life. It was a god they worshipped. And so for Moses to show power over their god in this way uh, would have and should have spoke to them mightily. And so he says, listen, I, I'll give you the authority. I'll give you the power to be able to speak. And we're going to find that when he goes and speaks to the elders, that they do indeed believe him. And they do receive him as a prophet of God. They do receive him as one sent by the Lord to deliver them. And they're going to praise him. But that will be our very last point, actually, of this chapter. One author says, the creator has the power to change elements in his creation from one thing to another. But more than that, it is about transformations that have to do with life and death. The deity who has the power over both life, uh, the lively, and the deadly forces of the cosmos has unlimited power. That's your God. That is your God. There is no shortcoming. There's nothing he cannot do. And so for Moses to feel like, well, I don't have authority and power, the Lord's like, don't worry, I'm creator God. I have all authority and I have all power. And so you can go and you can perform these miracles. Now, these three miracles plus the plagues are not going to be enough to change some people's hearts, though. Because it's, it's you know, despite what many people say, it's a belief matter. And so those who have put their heart against the Lord and following their own ways, they can see even the miraculous and they could still say, no, thank you. And if you question that statement, I just want to put before you that Jesus Christ came to this earth and took on human flesh, performed miracles, fed thousands with just a, a few scraps, raised the dead to life. And when he raised the dead to life, they said, yeah, we really got to kill this guy because everybody's going to believe in him. That's how hard the heart of a person can be, even in the face of of the miraculous. But this was his next excuse. I have no authority or power. I'm sure you maybe have felt this way. I think we all have felt this way. It's not a bad thing to feel like I lack ability and I, li I lack power. What's wrong is when we say, therefore, I'm not going to serve you. Therefore, I won't answer the call because I don't have it within me. Because in reality, all of us should come to this conclusion is that um, there's not enough authority or power within me to persuade anybody. Yes, that's right. But we can go, and we can go in the power of the Lord. The next excuse he gives is in verses 10 through 12. And it's very similar to what he gave back in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, I lack ability. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, 
I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I don't have power. Well, here's my power. Why well, don't have the ability to speak? Not a problem. I made your mouth. I put your tongue inside your mouth. I will make it say the things that I want it to say. This is his fourth excuse of why he cannot answer the call of Yahweh. He's not the last one there to feel that way, is he? Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6, this young teenage boy is being called to go and rebuke all of his father's friends and to tell them that they are in sin and they've turned from the Lord. And what does Jeremiah say? He says, I'm just a youth. I can't do it. I'm afraid of their faces. He says, it's not a problem. I will put my words in your mouth and only say the things that I tell you to say. And that is true for us today. We should be those that are going forth and speaking and sharing those things that the Lord has put in our mouth to say. What is that? It's the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God sent his only son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. Because man in his sin and rebellion against God had secured for him an eternal destruction. But God says, no, I don't want that. So he sent his son that his son might take the penalty of sin upon himself. And so when Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, he was paying the penalty for all of humanity. And all that had come to him can receive this gift of life. And so this is, a, this is what the Lord does. And this is the message that we bring to people. This is the message that people want to hear. And there are a lot of things we can talk about. But as ambassadors for the Lord, we are limited to say the things that he has called us to say. Ambassadors go and they represent the government or the leader that has sent them. They don't get to dream up their own policies. They're, at least they're not supposed to. They don't get to you know, give their own orders or say this is what we're going to be willing to do. They can only commit to what they've been told their government will commit to. And so they, and a good ambassador rightly represents the thinking and the wishes of those back home. We are ambassadors of Christ. And we have been told what to say. And there's a lot of things that happen in this life and in this world that we can have opinions on. But you know, we need to make certain that when we speak the name of the Lord, that we do not conflate other issues with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you take the message you preach of Jesus Christ and you lift this up and you should be able to drop it down in any culture, at any time in history, at any kind of education level, any kind of financial status, and it will be relevant and powerful and transform that culture. If you've got to change what you say so it can be accommodated there, you probably need to stop saying that part right where you are too. Because we, we end up confusing the wires but we we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and we know what to say and the Lord has made our mouth and he is able to give us exactly what we should say he actually said this to his disciples didn't he when he was talking to them about his departure and he was saying that I'm going to go away they're going to you're going to be delivered up they're going to take you into jails you're going to appear before magistrates and he says don't worry about what you're going to say because I will give you the words to say in that very what hour 
I'll tell you what to say in the moment you need to speak. And so I lack ability. The Lord's like, this is not a problem for me. You know, I have all power. All, we, can perform, we can perform miracles. Well, I don't have the ability within me. That's okay. I can give you what you need. I believe the Lord loves to choose people based on Scripture that don't have ability and don't have power. And as they go and as they speak and as they do the work of God, people stand back and they say, that is God. That is the Lord working through that man. That is the Lord working through that, that, that woman. That is the Lord working through those young people, those old people. This is the Lord. And he gets the glory. And he's able to do what he wants and the Lord is worthy of zealous followers. He should not have reluctant servants in the kingdom of God. If you read in uh, Titus, um, we read there that the Lord has redeemed us, that he might have a people that are zealous for good works. What the Lord wants is not a bunch of people he's got to you know, convince to go serve him that have already said, Lord, I'm yours and I'll do whatever I want. What he wants is people that are zealous we're burning up to get out there and do what the Lord has called us to do. And there are many specifics that maybe we don't know about in our life of what we should do about a job or career or moving or staying or relationships or, you know, lots of things. But here's one thing that we all know as believers. We're to preach the gospel. That's not a question. You don't have to worry about that one. We know that we're to love each other. We know that we are to love our enemies. We know that we are to serve one another and to put the needs and the interests of those around us ahead of our very own interests. And all these things we know. And so we should be zealous and running into them. I want you to know this. God has called you and he has gifted you in ministry. God has called you and has gifted you. Not he will call you and he will gift you. It's already happened. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your trust in him, then he has, Ephesians 2.10, created you for good works that you should walk in them. And he's prepared these works even before you were born. It's his plan that you would do these. You have a to-do list from your maker, creator God. What is it that you need to go do? What is it that he's calling you to do? And the other piece is he's gifted you. 1 Corinthians 12, he get, we find that we receive spiritual gifts. Now, walk in the opportunities that are right in front of you. Do the next thing. Maybe what you, uh, is on your heart, what you dream to do is not, it's not manifesting itself. I can tell you that for years that was the, the case for me. I knew that one day I would go and I'd, I would start a church and I'd plant a church somewhere. I just, I sensed that call of God. But there were years of my life where I was not doing that. I was doing other things. And I can look back now and I can see that those things that God was teaching me for those, you know, seven, eight years waiting were so vital for what I'm walking through right now. And, and so the Lord knows. Just do what's, what's, it, what's available to you. What can you do? Rather than bemoaning what you can't do, do what you can do. Do what is in front of you. And the opportunities the Lord has presented because so often it's a matter of you being instructed and taught and just waiting for the right moment for things to open up that you step into it at the right time. So I lack ability. The Lord says that is not a problem for me. 
I've got all the resources of heaven. I made you. I know how to deal with a stammering tongue. It is not a problem. As a matter of fact, the more you say, I am not qualified, I am not gifted, I should not touch the ministry of the Lord, the, the higher you go up on his hit list for who he wants to use. Like, no, not me, I'm the worst. Oh, wow, you just shot right to the top then. Because when God uses you, everybody's going to say, yeah, that's the Lord. That's the Lord that's using that person. And we discount ourselves. Stop discounting yourself. Because your God deserves zealous servants. Because your God has all the power. And he has the tools you need to get the work done. You know, God's to-do list is impossible. Everything he wants to do is impossible. And we're his servants. So by nature, whatever we, whenever the Lord calls us or whatever he leads us into, it's going to be a difficult task. It's going to be a difficult task. So we need to learn to trust in the Lord and rest in him. Let's read verses 13 through 17 where he gives his last excuse, which is simply get someone else or I'm not interested. But he said to, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. I'm out. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now, as you go through and you read about these different things that Moses has said and the reasons why not, uh, some will look at his saying, I can't speak, I can't do this. And they'll say, this is actually just a, a formal way of being humble, not saying I won't do it, but, you know, I just, I don't know that I'm really up to this task. If that was the case, God would not be angry right here. I think the fact that the Lord is angry tells us the, the tone and the attitude that Moses had, had taken in the conversation. This isn't just like, you know, formality and pleasantries. This is a man that says, I'm not interested. Go, go get somebody else. Does that sound familiar? You don't have to raise your hand. But does that sound familiar? Have you ever said that to the Lord? Lord, just get somebody else to do this. I don't want, this is too difficult. This is too hard. Go get somebody else. I just, I'm, 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 I'm stepping out. Now listen, I'm not saying God can't lead you out of one ministry and into another. He certainly does that. But if it is simply, I can't do it, go get somebody else. And we need to, we need to adjust that, right? We need to, to, to recalibrate our thinking. And he said, in the middle of verse 14, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. He's going to be excited to serve me. And so we should all be. We should all be excited and glad in our hearts to be used by the Lord. Now, you, excuse me, verse 15. <coughs> now you shall speak to him and put the words of his words in his mouth. So I'm not going to tell him what to say. You're still going to have to get the revelation from me. Then you're going to have to share it to him. And then he will share it. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. <clears throat> so he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. Meaning I, the message is going to come from you. Like it comes from me. And you shall take his, this rod in your hand, with which you shall, <coughs> <coughs> with, 
with which you shall do the signs. May we never get to this place where we just say, no, Lord, I just won't do it. Get somebody else. Because, again, the Lord has called you and he's gifted you. And he's not going to call you and gift you and then want somebody else to do it. You're unique in your own abilities. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to become like anybody else. You don't have to become like anybody else. I don't know who your favorite, you know, think of your area of ministry and the person that seems to excel so much in that. We can learn from them for sure. But don't be like them. Don't try to be like them. That's not real. That's, not, that's fake. Be yourself with your gifting. So, you know, anybody who's ever pastored has had to deal with this. I'm sure we all deal with it. But in the context of ministry, it's like you hear a pastor like, well, they're bold and they're, they're fiery or they're real funny too. And, and this guy's like this and this guy's like that. And you can really get hung up and trying to be 10 different people. And it's not even who you are. Just be yourself. And allow the power of God to work in your life and speak the words that he gives you. And that is enough. You don't have to be like anybody else to be used. So the Lord is saying, all right, fine. You want somebody else and it's going to be your brother Aaron. Now Aaron is, is able to do this. He steps into it and we'll see him speaking in the early chapters. But as we move through the book, it, Moses just becomes the one who speaks. And there is one point in time in uh, the journeys through the wilderness that Aaron makes a huge blunder. Um, it's Exodus 21. And while Moses is up meeting with the Lord, they come to the spokesman, Aaron, and they say, make us a God. And he makes them a golden calf. And they worship. So it becomes a problem. It's not to say had he not been the spokesman that, um, you know, he would have done the right thing. It's just we find that that would have been a problem. Aaron, I gave you this opportunity. And look what has happened. And, of course, when he's called on it, he lies. He, he, tells, he tells a doozy. I mean, when they say, you know, Aaron, what have you done? I don't know. I threw gold in this, in this pot and this calf popped out. It's like, you are such a liar. You know, it's just it's not even a good lie. I mean, it's a bad lie. But that's... There's going to be some rub. There's going to be some conflict that they have to deal with. But Moses is, is going to be led into it. He is the chosen one. But may we cease with our excuses. Time is pressing on. The, war, the Lord is worthy of zealous followers and servants. Do what you have opportunity to do. Don't worry about what you can't do. Do what you can do right now, today, and do it with the power and the strength for the glory of God. As we move on through this chapter, verses 18 through 23, it brings us to the section where Moses is going to head back to Egypt to fulfill the task. <clears throat> so all the excuses are over, and he's going. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men, the third, who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons 
and set them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Well, this kind of seems counterproductive. I've got all these signs and all these miracles, and yet he's not going to let the people go. You're going to harden his heart. You you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So that gives the foreshadowing of the 10th plague, right? Uh, So quite a message he has to deliver to Pharaoh. And so he heads back. You know, a lot of people are very bothered by this, this section that says that I will harden his heart. It's like, can God harden somebody's heart? We read, but I will harden his heart. So the answer is yes. He can harden people's heart. Well, then if, he's, if God hardens his heart, then isn't, I mean, against his free will, I mean, isn't this, you know, unjust? Well, I don't think it is apart from his free will. I think it's in conjunction with his free will. Um, There are several places where we read, actually, it's not until after the sixth plague that we read that God hardened his heart. The first two references are speaking of what's going to happen. But when we actually get into the scene with Pharaoh and Moses, through the sixth plague, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And it's in the other plagues that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He does have a free will. And that free will, Pharaoh would tell you and does tell us that he had a free will. Because in Exodus 9 and in Exodus 10, he says, I have sinned. He confesses his hard heart and says, I should have let you go, the people go, but I have sinned. Now ask this plague to be lifted from me, and I will surely let you go. And then, of course, we know he doesn't do that. But on two different occasions, he confesses his sin. So this sovereign move of God to harden his heart is not apart from his own decisions that he was already making. We are all given an opportunity to follow the Lord. God is not willing that any should perish but that all would come to life. He has sent his son into this world to be a light and to be a witness. But if people harden their hearts against the Lord, he is not obligated to give them another opportunity of repentance. Much like what he says in Genesis chapter 6 in the days just prior to the flood. He says, my spirit will not always strive with man. And indeed, there came a point where he stopped and he wiped out the world and only eight souls were put on that ark. And and the Lord stops striving against this rebellion against him. If you are here this morning and you know that God is the one true and living the Lord that we're speaking of, and you know you need to get right, you've even concluded in your mind, one day I'm going to get right with the Lord, but it's not today, it'll be later. You need to be sobered by this passage because you having that thought and that kind of plan it is the Lord that's drawing you and he is not obligated to give you another clear-headed moment about who he is and what you need to do he can harden your heart and you can forever be 
in that place of resisting the Lord. What a scary thought. Praise the Lord that he has had mercy upon us and that when he spoke that most of us in here responded to the Lord. It doesn't make us great. It makes him great. We're just sinners saved by grace. We don't feel like we're better than anybody else. We just found out how to solve our problem. And you have and are being told how to solve your problem, and that's through coming to Jesus Christ and confessing your sin and being a willing servant to follow him and to obey him. And if you're not willing to do that, you run the risk of this happening, of the Lord saying, fine, my spirit will no longer strive. I am done. And I don't think that any of us can know when that happens in somebody else's heart and life. I think this is in the, the counsel of God. So I wouldn't get in the business saying, I think his heart or her heart is too hard. Because you know there are some people that have gotten saved that you would have looked at their life leading up to that. And they were like, wow, there's no way they'll ever get saved. And they end up getting saved. So we don't know. And God is able to save. And you know, to the worst of the worst. But if you have that sense and that awareness that God is the one and you need to get him, your life right with him through Jesus Christ, then do it today. Don't delay it another hour. But you know what? For us as believers, if there's something that's out of place in your life, and we're going to see this in the next point, we need to respond as well. Let's read verses 24 through 26, where we read of the lack of holiness that is in Moses' life. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord, Yahweh, met him and sought to kill him. What? I mean, this seems really out of place, doesn't it? It's like, well, he's finally said yes, and now he wants to kill him? Verse 25, then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. It's hard to know exactly what this phrase, um, you're a husband of blood, it clearly is referring to circumcision. You know, I don't know how you read it. When I read this, it's kind of like you got this kind of angry, bitter woman that's carrying out a task. She's very unhappy about it, and she, you know, throwing the skin at his feet. But actually, that, I don't think that's a proper way to view this. For one example of why it shouldn't be read this way, when we read that she cast it at Moses' feet, the word cast is used in another place in the book of Exodus, and we'll come to it in just a little bit. And the word cast is, um, is translated touched. And um, one author says, observes that this is the same verb for, used for applying the blood of the lamb to the doorpost in Exodus 12.22. So, you know, this is, we, we have the word cast in it, and kind of the unknown meaning of your blood of bridegroom, it kind of gives us a sense of you got this hostile kind of situation going on, and yet, it very well may not be that at all. It might be just this woman understanding they had not circumcised. Now, circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God had made with Israel, with Abraham and his descendants. And they were to do this to be a sign that we are the people of God. And we are in a covenant with God. And Moses had not done this with his children. 
And yet, when this covenant was given, God says, and if you don't do that, then that person shall be cut off. God is about to cut off Moses because he's not walking in obedience as it relates to this uh, rite of circumcision, which was the seal of the covenant, the sign of the covenant. And he's about to lead a group of people, and he's going to be calling them to obedience. He's going to be telling them to circumcise their children, and he's going to be telling them, and he's not, he's not even doing it himself. And so the Lord looks at this, and he says, I'm going to take you out, man. So we got sick. I mean, Zippor is the one that does it. So it would seem like he just falls ill, and he's about to die and there's an awareness, there's a discernment that she has that this is the reason, this is what's going on. And they move, we're lacking a lot of details. But I think the, the clear point that we should see is, even if you have a miraculous birth and are preserved in that birth, and you are preserved in the wilderness for you know, 40 years, and God meets you at the burning bush, and you can do all kinds of signs and miracles in his name, you still have to walk in holiness. It's not an excuse. It doesn't, it doesn't, God is like, he's willing to say, listen, I want you to be my servant. I mean, he's, he's being so patient with him. Five different excuses. The last one being, I don't want to do it. Go get somebody else. And yet he is patient and shows grace with him. And yet God does not feel like, oh, okay, I don't want to upset you and tell you to go do circumcision because that might upset you, and if I lose you, I'm, I'm just lost. No, the Lord is willing to take him out. He's trying to communicate to him that you must walk in holiness. At the beginning of new works of God, and I'll give you some examples uh, from Scripture, God seems to make a loud statement about his desire for holiness among his people. <clears throat> Think about... Well, of course, we have this scene right here. The exodus is about to happen. But when the exodus comes to an end and the conquest begins, there's a man by the name of Achan who had disobeyed the Lord and had stolen some spoil that the Lord said don't take. And the whole nation goes out to battle and they have a terrible defeat at the Battle of Ai. And, and so the Lord goes through and finds out that it was Achan. He knew, reveals it that it was Achan. And there's you know, punishment that comes down. And then we can, we can move forward even to the New Testament. At the time the church began, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God's doing a new work, something new. And you have Ananias and Sapphira, whose sin was simply to overstate their generosity, which is called hypocrisy. And that little infraction was enough that both of them ended up dropping dead at their church meeting. So what do we see here? What are we finding out? Is that God wants holiness. And now, he does not continue um, all the way through uh, the conquest, dealing with people like he did with Achan, nor does he do that with Moses through the rest of his time, or the church. But I don't think we should read into that God cares any less. I think God is making a loud statement, putting an exclamation point in front of us, and saying, look at this. Moses a man that I've called and I've preserved, that I've overseen his entire life. I've given him power to do amazing things, and yet he still must walk in holiness before me. And so if you have gotten to the place, it's like, well, you know what? Things seem to be going pretty good. 
I mean, things are going good at school. Things are going good at the job. My finances are okay and whatever. Okay, I've got this sin going on in my life. I'm not dealing with this flesh area in my life. I'm not cutting it off. You know, but it seems like it's going okay. Maybe, maybe it just doesn't matter that much. May this story speak to us that it matters. And God is holy. And everybody that draws near to him should regard him as holy. Thinking about that account with Nadab and Abihu when they came before the Lord to worship him and offer up prayer and they were drunk. And the Lord struck them dead. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be set apart. May we have the discernment and wisdom and courage of Zipporah to deal with that flesh that's not been cut off in our life. You know what it is. I could go through a list of them, but why? You know. You know if there's something in your heart and in your life that's out of place. Deal with it. If you're thinking about it and you're being convicted, deal with it. Now, if you're trying to excuse yourself for what you're doing, why? Why are you trying to excuse that which is unrighteous in your life? God is holy and he deserves that we would follow him and walk in holiness before him. Well, we close here in verses 27 through 31. And we see that Israel, the elders, believe Moses is a servant of the Lord. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And they heard, when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction. <coughs> then he bowed their heads. They bowed their heads and worshiped. They're worshiping the Lord. They believe, and yet they have not seen the first release of their bondage. They believe. They hear the word of the Lord, and they have faith in it. And isn't that what happened to you when you got saved? You heard that if you put your faith and trust in the Lord, that you would be delivered, and you believed. And you became a worshiper, a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is what's happening with them. They believe that God has heard their cry. And he's going to deliver them out from underneath their affliction, and they worship. Even though they don't see the first uh, you know, moment of release, just the signs that says, I'm about to do something. But this is the way we should be. When the Lord speaks all the promises of, in Scripture, we should have faith and we should worship and we should trust. Well, I'll start worshiping as soon as I, as soon as I start seeing. No. That's not the way that God has worked it out. We are to be a people of faith that, <coughs> that believe and respond in worship even before we see the first, you know, lifting of trouble, our parting of the sea. We are to believe in the word of the Lord. And God has already told us that he will cause all things to work together for good to the lo- those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is going to work it out. And so don't wait till the deliverance has happened. You can start worshiping now and believing and trusting now. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go smoothly. Because nine different times, Pharaoh 
is going to change his mind. And really, 10, even after the 10th plague, he's going to chase them into the, to the Red Sea, right? So it's, it's not that it means it's all going to go smoothly, but God is going to accomplish what he has promised to do. As it relates to you and me as believers, God is going to return in victory, and he's going to take us to be with him, and we will rule, and we will reign with him. <clears throat> we will look on his face. We will see his beauty. We will see his glory. And we will never deal with sin or temptation. We'll never deal with rebellion. We'll never deal with a wayward heart again because we will be glorified in the presence of the Lord. That's the deliverance that's coming for you. And we can and we should respond with faith and belief and worship. Thank you, Lord. You maybe don't see deliverance in that present circumstance, but it's coming and I know that's what you were doing, even as we opened the service today, in those songs of worship, and we're declaring and speaking with joy and celebration in our hearts of our salvation. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep rejoicing. Keep responding. So as we close here, if you've been putting excuses up for why you can't serve, I hope you will become like Aaron, glad in your heart to do whatever the Lord has called you to do. And if there are things that are out of place in your life and you're just retaining sin and holding on to it and it seems like you know everything's going well and God's using you, understand that God is not happy and that he wants you to respond in obedience and repentance today. And if you are one that's never come to the Lord, then don't be like Pharaoh. Don't harden your heart another moment. Come and receive the salvation that Christ came to this earth to give to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. We ask, Lord, that we would be joyful, faithful, zealous servants of yours. <clears throat> that heart that Isaiah had when he said, here I am, Lord, send me. May each and every one of us have that same resolve to just step into whatever it is that is before us, whatever opportunity is before us. We thank you, Lord, that you open doors and you close doors. If you need to step out, if you've been reluctant, you've been telling the Lord, go find another woman, go find another man to do this job, then why don't you humble yourself and say, yes, Lord. If you're one that you've yet to come to Christ, but you know he is the Lord, you know he is Savior, and you know you need to be done with that sin and repent and come to him and receive forgiveness, then do it right now, right where you sit. Say, Lord, here I am. I repent. I'm turning from all of this stuff, and I'm asking you to cleanse me and, and, and make me your servant. I'll follow you. He will respond to you. He's already done everything that needs to be done. He's just waiting for you to res respond to that grace. And if you're saying, well, how do I know? Maybe my heart hasn't been hardened. Listen, if you're asking that question, your heart has not been hardened. Come. Come to the Lord. Don't put it off another day. And believer, you can have faith right now. As we, even as we close in this song, you can just express that faith of your salvation. That God's on the throne and he is going to bring deliverance and he has brought deliverance. You can trust him. You don't have to wait till you see it happen. You can start right now because that's what the people of faith do.